I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. We're going to introduce the mechanical bull to a black swan. It's noon for Monday, September 6, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator, the Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or you can go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds, go give the show a five-star rating and leave me a review. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is through the anchor site, anchor.fm slash I'm your moderator. Today is the 229th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You expect every single person out there to know that you have everything right and follow your lead. But you're the same people who spend all your time complaining about how hard adulting is. Last week, I was in touch with a friend of mine who I haven't really spoken to, I don't think at all, in in 2021. Uh, we're kind of friends from like 20 years ago, and we kind of go in and out of communicating regularly. And, you know, he asked how I'd been, what I've been doing, and uh, asked if I was, you know, still in Los Angeles right now. And I said, no, you know, I've kind of been out of L.A. for the past yeah, six months. I just couldn't deal with all the communists there. And, you know, I'll say things like that kind of in a joking way to someone I haven't talked to in a while just to kind of gauge their reaction and let them know that if they're on the team, I'll be the one who kind of will take that first bullet, right? I'll put myself out there. If they want to get upset about me saying that there are too many communists in LA, well, then I know quickly that that person's not going to be someone I'm going to spend a lot of time talking to in the future. And at the same time, it opens the conversation up so that they can say, I've got it. I totally get it. I agree with you. I'm kind of sick of this whole communism thing, too. So it's something I do often when reconnecting with someone or when meeting someone and they ask about California. And if people want to take it as a joke and move on to a different part of conversation, I'm not going to like make a uh, a huge thing about it. Right. But I want to stake. My claim on what ground. I stand on and let them know. And if that's an issue, then we can part ways. We don't have to talk. But 
as I said, this is a friend of mine for a long time, and I had a feeling that he was probably mostly, if not completely, awake. He's a, uh, a smart guy and a very real guy. And so I put that out there, and then we ended up in a conversation about how the politics had deteriorated, and we talked about vaccines and some other stuff. And at one point, he mentioned that the friend of his daughter actually would not come to their house because one of his views was like too offensive for her. He called the China virus, the China virus at one point. And so now he's now he's racist, right? Now he is very toxic. You can't go over there. You you know, this is his daughter's friend. And she like won't go over there because dad is now a racist. He said China virus. And he says to me, he's like, do you get the feeling like that? We're just old. Are we just old now? Is that what it is? And I was like, no, man, we're like 42, you know, and I think he might even be a couple years younger than me, but we are decidedly not old. Even if you want to say like we are middle aged, fine, don't care. You're just the age you are. You know what I mean? Everybody is aging at the same rate. Everyone who is young and thinks that they will be young forever will eventually find out that's not true. And while 42 might feel very old when you're 13 to any normal adult with a full size brain, it's not old. It's just normal, right? It's just normal. Whatever age you are, it's normal. Okay. So I'm like, no, man, we're, we're not old, but apart from whether or not we are old, quote unquote, the real thing is. Why in the world would that be held against us in terms of a political belief or a cultural belief, right? Because this was in the context of saying, like, am I just out of touch with what's good and what's right? This is what the kids are doing. The kids think it's racist to say China virus. Maybe we're the problem, right? We're old. We've aged out of our cultural understanding. And I'm like, no, man, like we're adults. Okay. If we are not making these decisions, then who gets to make them? Right. We're 42. This is prime adulthood. All right. 65 is retirement age, right? You know, 21, 22. That's when you are an adult and enter the workforce, whether or not you went to college, if you went to college, You know, you enter it at the workforce at 18, right? So 42 is in the middle, dead in the middle. You are prime adult age. So why in the world would we be subject to the political and cultural opinions of 17-year-olds? Or 22-year-olds. And by the way, 22-year-olds get to vote. They get to chime in. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to subject myself to their opinions. Or silence myself in favor of them. 
or prioritize their views. Oh, they're the up and coming generation. They're the ones who are going to be around here for so long. So, you know, it's really important that their views are prioritized. What? First of all, the people who encourage us to take the views of 22 year olds, the political views of 22 year olds, the cultural views of 22 year olds seriously are almost exclusively people who are of retirement age and over. Okay, I mean, and by the way, I know Donald Trump is, too. I understand. But George W. Bush. Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. All of these people are old. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's in her 80s. And these people have the most power of anyone in the country. Mitch McConnell. Right. They have the most power. And why do they have the most power? Why have they been in political office for 30, 40, 50 years? Well, because they cheat and they keep themselves there. They get into power. They set new rules so that they can stay in power and they stay forever. And who can they take advantage of most easily? Well, young, dumb people. And so what have they done? Well, they have continually taken advantage of young dumb people and they do this by using the culture rather than using argument and of course young people control culture for the most part they're the ones who are the main consumers of culture and as my generation uh generation x has gotten older i mean this started with boomers the uh generation before me i'm late generation x but the baby boom generation has tried to stay young forever, which partly explains their decadence. And that is what it is. It is a symptom of decadence to want to retain power until you're 85 years old or 90 years old. These people are insane. Why would they want to be doing these things? There's no reason. They're certainly not serving their country. They don't have this lifelong commitment to service where they just are like, you know, I still think I'm the best person for the job. I'm still representing my constituents. I'm still representing my party and my country. I'm making the country a better place and thereby making the world a better place. That's not what these people are doing. They're facilitating crime and money laundering. They're enriching themselves through their illegitimate power. That's what they're doing there. And the same attitudes are reflected in the business world as well. So much of our culture, the entire culture for the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years has been dominated by the baby boom generation and probably longer than that, honestly. They were the hippie generation, the free love generation. The generation who became obsessed with their own youth and youthfulness. <laughs> I mean, they've probably been the generation of plastic surgery. They're the generation that thinks that they're just on the cusp of living forever. They're the generation of the Beatles, of imagine, of all you need is love. Probably the most subversive and awful song to ever exist. And now 
they basically coordinate their politics with the youngest generations, both generations, by the way, millennials and boomers are massive generations, whereas Generation X is quite small in comparison. But the politics are coordinated. The obsession with materialism and youth is coordinated. And we are now being told by all these people that we should be catering our political opinions to the young because they're going to have to live with this world for the longest. Well, isn't it crazy to say that as someone who is still trying to maintain their grip on power at 80 years old, 85 years old? And that grip on power doesn't end up being at the expense of the youngest generations because eventually this generation will die and younger people will take over no matter what. That hold on power was achieved at the expense of my generation. And again, I'm not going to say that our generation, my generation is not partially responsible for that. We should have stepped up earlier and tried to wrest that control from them and put new ideas in place that were representative of where our country was at at that time. Instead of just continuing these terrible failed ideas of our predecessors. And by the way, I'm not just doing this to insult that generation. Some of their ideas were probably good. I'm not sure which of those ideas we would be talking about since the main ideas they have had are perpetual war and complicity with global communism, as well as cronyism, nepotism, and I guess you could call it vulture capitalism, but that's not capitalism's fault. I always hate when they use these terms and say capitalism after as if it's the capitalism that's the problem and not the word before that. You know, Garrett Ziegler and I were talking last week about greed and how greed is inherent in the person. It's not inherent in the system, especially not in capitalism. Capitalism means I have something you want, you have something I want, and we trade. And the rate at which we trade is dictated by how many other people want what I have and how many people, how many other people want what you have. And so the market sets the price based on supply and demand. That's it. It is just a moral system of trade based on how much other people do or do not want the commodity you're in possession of. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. But so thinking back about my friend's comment, are we too old? I'm like, no, we're the adults. We are literally the adults. Who else should be making these decisions if not us? Do we need to both look to the older people who have held on to power for 30 and 40 years and the young people who have never had any power and who do not know anything? And by the way, again, not trying to insult an entire generation and put Generation X above those. We just are in different periods of the decay of public education, the decay of culture, the decay of values, the decay of uh, parenthood. You know, it is not a it's not a, a coincidence. It's not an accident 
that we have gone from what are now called free range children that used to just be called children to these situations where we have helicopter parents and the parents drive the kids to the private school and drop them off. And if the kids aren't doing well in school, the parents have meetings with the teachers and try to get teachers fired so that they can give their crap kids better grades. That's where we're at now. And this stuff has happened gradually. And we just happen to be in the middle of that. So we weren't the people implementing the system. And we weren't those who have gotten the most extreme version of it as we grew up. Sorry. It's just how it is. I'm sure you can figure out another scenario where Generation X is actually really shitty. Okay. What are you going to do? Offend me? I'm offended on behalf of everyone who's my age. Why would I care about that? Either, either the critique reflects my own experience or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I'm not going to be offended just because you're talking about people who are my age. I'd be like, oh, huh. Yeah, I guess they got a point. But, well, that doesn't apply to me. So shrug and move on. You just don't have to be offended. You know what I mean? It's kind of a great way to to look at things. Oh, are they talking about me? Well, they could be. I don't really see myself represented in what they're saying. But I'm sure they're talking about people my age or people like me. I guess I could think about how I might be part of what they're talking about, but don't really care. Not going to identify with their comment and let it drive me crazy. So it is what it is. But we don't need to keep following what young people say and do especially when it comes to culture. There's always this assumption that somehow culture continues advancing and that it must advance. The newer is better, but that's not true. Okay. Newer architecture is not better than older architecture. Taping a banana to the wall or looking at a Hunter Biden painting that's not really a good comparison next to a Renoir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, would you like to see the uh, Sistine Chapel or would you like to go to Art Basel and look at how someone twisted strings of neon that says something trite like wild is beautiful and Instagram models take pictures next to it. That's not an improvement. Rap isn't better now with Migos than with the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, what are we talking about? We are just glorifying youth for the sake of youth, glorifying the new for the sake of the new. And it's not like their political opinions improved. Their taste has gotten worse. And by the way, it's not that their taste was good and now it's bad. It's that our cultural standards have been degraded. I talked about art and Beyonce and music and whatever last week. But think about that in a broader sense. We don't even care about the art for the art itself. We care about the branding that surrounds the art. 
like talking about Migos, for instance, right? They did something on Saturday Night Live, which was one of the most, one of the dumbest things I've ever watched in, in my life. I mean, I didn't watch it on Saturday Night Live. I saw it on a video on social media, right? But they all wear Gucci. So, oh God, they must be important. Rappers are high fashion now. Congratulations, rappers. Good job. But who cares? Who cares if they wear expensive clothing when their music sucks? And of course, no one is ever supposed to say these things, right? Because we have to always defer to the young to tell us what's cool, what's good. How in the world did we all ever agree to that? Right? I, didn't, I know I did not sign up for that. And I never would sign up for that. I like what I like and not what other people like. And if you tell me to like something because other people like it, there is an even lower chance that I am going to like it. I mean, if it's actually really good and I like it, I'll be like, all right, fine. It's a guilty pleasure, I guess. <laughs> but we have given all of this up to the young. We let them dictate culture. And now we're trying to let them dictate politics. And, I, you know, my friend said that, and it really, like, just cued this idea in me. I cannot believe that we have to pretend that we agree that saying China virus is racist because the young people have been convinced to say it. And why were the young people convinced to say it? Because the old people wanted them to say it so that China could be protected from being blamed for the virus that came out of China. And just for the record, by the way, my generation is the one that got obsessed with reality television. So trust me, I have no love for that. It's not, it's not just about age. I'm just making examples here, right? The idea that we have to lie about politics and about culture, which are some of the most important subjects to not lie about, because if we tell the truth about them, some young people will be offended and then we're going to not seem cool anymore. <laughs> that, is an, a, that is a total abandonment of responsibility. Okay? And where does it stop? All last year, we had to pretend that political violence and domestic terrorism in the streets of American cities was justified because we had to accept a communist view on race because the young people accepted the communist view on race. It benefited the old people who are in power and it was convincing enough to the young people because it was constantly sold to them. It was branded and packaged and sold to them. And there are enough people on TV to repeat the slogans. So all the young people accepted it. And then we have the choice as adults who are still kind of connected to the younger people and the older people were in the middle. We have to accept it. Otherwise, the young people are going to say, you're racist. You don't think black lives matter. Yeah, actually, I do. I think all lives matter. 
And I'm not dumb enough to pretend that saying that is racist just because the old people have convinced the young people to say it. Saying that everyone's life matters is not racist. How about that, young people? And right now, we have a culture that is my generation, millennials, and people who are even younger than the millennials. I guess they're called Generation Z or the Zoomers, and maybe there's a generation younger than them. Don't care. Don't care what the generation younger than them have as their cultural opinions. But we have the old generation wanting to hold on to power and exercising that power over the culture, locking people's businesses down, making people wear masks, and then they sell it to them with celebrity and pop culture, and then everybody agrees, and no one wants to be called the bad things by the people on social media. No one wants bad Yelp reviews for standing up for their rights. So everybody just goes along with the thing that keeps the old corrupt people in power. And the younger generation, of course, loves it. Because everybody says, oh, you just got to listen to them. Listen to the young people. They know what they're talking about. I mean, who is dominating this conversation online, right? Why in the world do we have some 19-year-old pop star in high heels visiting in a miniskirt? By the way, those are both fine things just not contextually. So she goes to the White House. Jen Psaki practically has an orgasm looking at her and nearly faints in the press room just thinking about how young and cute and vibrant she is. And then she goes and has a fake conversation, a fake Twitter Q&A with Anthony Fauci trying to make an 82-year-old Nazi doctor seem appealing to Disney kids so that they will pressure their own parents into allowing them to get vaccinated. That is so deranged and so sick. But it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The old people have a goal to retain power. They co-opt young culture to enforce their narrative. And then anyone else who isn't down with it, well, those people just are out of touch. They're not cool. You can't say anything bad about Camilla Cabello. I think that's her name. And we're supposed to say that the cross-dresser or trans guy or whatever that guy the social media the tiktoker who went into the white house and pretended he was a white house intern for a day that he was just hanging out with jen pisaki we're supposed to pretend that that is cute and woke and very hip very cool very forward thinking while we present that to the rest of the world we are apparently, if we say what that really is, which is an absolute disgrace and a stain on our culture, if we say that, that we are 
using the White House to project our gender bending approval to the rest of the world. We are what haters. We are not understanding of people's individual liberty. Well, that's not true. I think that the gender bender should do whatever he wants. I don't think that the white house should be having him in to pretend to be an intern so that we put that out to the rest of the world in hopes that 20 year olds and 17 year olds and some 37 year old cat ladies who drink too many martinis too many times a week think that we are very hip. So we have social media content. Ooh, I'm going to post this and I'm going to get likes. I'm exactly like Jen Psaki. Yes, most of you are exactly like Jen Psaki. And it's very, very disturbing. But we're all supposed to imagine that we are subject to that part of the culture. We're not. All of us create culture and create society. And we're all doing it at the same time. They don't own culture or society because they're young. And we need to stop allowing people whose first impressions of the world are still being formed to try to form everyone else's impressions. And it's not like these are our first impressions. It's not like we see this stuff and we think, oh, wow, how avant-garde. I can't believe we didn't think of putting this man in a commercial for the White House years and years ago. Imagine the strength we could have projected in the Cold War if only this guy was around. That's not what we think. We get bullied or shamed or coached or conditioned into accepting that stuff as culture. Oh, well, you know. I'm cool. I'm still with it. I don't want to be called a name by an 18-year-old. <laughs> How would I deal with that? But we don't have the courage of our convictions. We don't think for ourselves. We don't make decisions like, hey, you know what? That sucks. I actually don't think it's a good promotion of America's strength in the world that we can let that guy prance around the White House with Jen Psaki. That's not smart. That's bad for our country. That's bad for our culture. It is what it is. We're not allowed to say that anymore because we don't have free speech. We don't have free speech in America. Oh, you better not say that. Someone's going to know you're not woke. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get kicked off the social media platforms. You're going to be censored. Hey, Kami, I was censored a long time ago. I don't give two shits if Dirk Commissar's in town. Oh, they're going to find out what I did. Hey, if I was worried about that, I wouldn't be saying it into a microphone and then posting it on the Internet. But now we got to bend over for everybody's culture. And I'm not even... I'm not even one of those guys that's like serious about upholding like quote unquote Western culture or classic culture or traditional culture. 
No one who knows anything about me or my life would think that I'm a prude in any way imaginable or think that I'm a judgmental person. By the way, I am totally fine if that little dude wants to wear Cardi B's fingernails and a little skirt and prance around his own house or literally prance prance around anywhere. Go to the Museum of Ice Cream. Everybody there likes Instagram as much as you. You're going to feel totally at home. But don't do it in the White House because the White House is the place where formerly responsible people would decide who the country goes to war with. Before Barack Obama got there, it wasn't really a place where we figured out whether or not Yas Queen was a catchy slogan. And we used to consider press secretaries to be serious people who communicated to the country about what was going on. That was their job. Now it's just to be influencers. And everyone in that White House wants to be an influencer. No one more than Kamala Harris, by the way. And Kamala Harris has had her social media done for her for years and years and years. Kamala Harris does not do her own social media. Neither does Joe Biden. I know that for a fact. Obviously, everybody knows the Joe Biden thing. But Kamala Harris hasn't done her social media for years. I know people in real life who have worked on Kamala Harris's social media. This is just messaging. It is just a commercial. It is a commercial for Kamala Harris. Is Kamala Harris the person she says she is? Of course not. Kamala Harris is a product that has this series of features. And if those features no longer sell well, well, Kamala Harris becomes a different product. She is absolutely as soulless and intellectually void and unprincipled as every other Instagram influencer. And she acts like it in office. It's a travesty. We do not need to defer to young people who don't know anything when we are building culture. It is our responsibility to build culture just as much as they do. And I'm not even just talking about the arts or entertainment. I'm talking about the culture, the way we treat one another, our propensity for standing up for ourselves, which is something that has been conditioned out of America by and large. I mean, how many adults in this country right now are wearing masks they know don't work because they don't want to get yelled at by a millennial communist or a Zoomer communist. We have allowed our country to be taken over by communists so that we don't get insulted by a young person. So if that's you, you're not an adult, right? These last, I don't know, five or six years, when was it that it happened? Maybe 2017, 2018. Everybody was always posting about adulting the whole time. Oh my gosh, adulting is so hard. They would make fun of themselves for not knowing how to do basic things. Like stuff you just have to do throughout the day or throughout the year, throughout your life. Things you have to do 
They don't know how to do them. And of course, it doesn't matter because their parents used to do them and then their parents gave them enough money so they don't actually need to think about doing them. They pay other people to do them. And then adulting just means showing up at their very hip job every day, which is now, by the way, just staying home and sometimes being on the Internet and then answering emails if you want or not answering them if you don't want creating an emotional excuse why you couldn't answer the email, letting your boss know that you were going to extract a legal or reputational cost if you were told you couldn't do the thing you wanted to do. And if that doesn't work, you just blame it on COVID. And then, of course, you have the flip side argument, which is that you have grown up now, and now that you're a grown up, you realize that no adults know what they're doing. Oh, no one knows what they're doing. It's okay. We're all just stumbling blindly through our lives and hoping that our inheritance will pay for it. I mean, everybody has an inheritance now, right? (laughs) We have actually made adulthood a rare commodity. And adulthood, something that should be looked down upon or scorned. Oh, you stodgy old adult. Like every single thing is uh, some like 80s afternoon sitcom where the parents are always the problem. Oh, those parents, they're so boring and old. Okay. But we're not in high school anymore. You know what I mean? Like if you're 30, if you're 35, if you're 40, you're an adult and you damn well better act like it. And part of that means that you don't let the opinions of 17-year-olds influence you about what's right and wrong. And I'm not saying you don't listen to their arguments. Maybe they're right and you personally are wrong. I'm saying generationally, we do not need to defer to children to tell us how to act and to tell us what our politics should be. It is our job as adults to create culture. It is our job as participants in the culture to create the culture. Why are we pretending that everyone's voice is valid, that we're all these precious little flowers and snowflakes, if we're not even going to stand up for our own individuality? The precious flowers and the snowflakes, they want their individual viewpoint to be reflected On everyone else. They want everyone else to comply with their individual viewpoint. That's how much culture they will take. And we won't even take up the cultural space to say, hey, this is just what I think for me. We're now scared of doing that. Oh, I better check with the kids first. What? Don't know if I can see that Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, I heard that the kids think there's something wrong with it. Oh, Margot Robbie. She didn't get enough lines. Well, she says she did, of course, and uh, everybody knows she did, because if you watch the movie, you'll just see that she had a great part and she did great things with it. Wonderful. But some 18 year old says Margot Robbie didn't have enough lines. Some Zoomer blogger wrote about it in Refinery 29. Oh, better change my opinion. (laughs) Better call up Post Malone and Miley Cyrus and see what they have to say about it first. Better do a focus group with junior gender studies majors at Berkeley 
to figure out whether saying that Cardi B actually did work as a prostitute is missing context. So I guess this went way longer than I expected to this whole subject, but I really, I, you know, I felt for my friend because he was expressing a, a facet of the insanity that we have to deal with right now. Like he had to feel bad about saying China virus when referring to a virus from China and he had to feel bad about it because people who have no problem saying Spanish flu decided that it was in their best interest to protect China. And so to do that, they convinced a bunch of Zoomers and children and millennial idiots that it was racist to say China virus, even though Spanish flu is okay. That is the level of insanity we're dealing with here. And hey, it's a little late in the game, but if you're the sort of person who has gone along with all of this nonsense for your whole life, and you are just now starting to think, hey, you know, maybe these people are actually as crazy as some claim. And maybe they don't know what they're talking about. And regardless of that, I think I've had just about enough of having nothing but communists and idiots make my decisions for me. If you are thinking that, then maybe it's time for you to make some decisions in your life and come on back to America. You can just migrate back here. And since this is kind of an intellectual migration, you're not going to have issues about Joe Biden's fake administration leaving you stranded on an airfield in Afghanistan. You can just choose to migrate and it will be done. If if you're that kind of person, then you are a redeemable communist. And with that, I would love to extend a, a warm Monday, high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. It's so great that you joined today and that you've made it through that 35 to 40 minute dissertation on why you need to reclaim your adulthood. And I hope you stick around for the whole week, because if you do, and maybe a little bit of next week, I promise you that I will make you an American again. You will no longer want to be an insufferable communist. I will convince you to leave all of those stupid and evil communist ideas behind. You're just going to have to put up with me for a few days at the beginning. And then after that, it's not going to feel like putting up with me at all. At the beginning, you're going to be like, oh, man, I think this guy's talking about me. Well, here's the thing, Kami. I am. And then you're going to be like, I think this guy might be stupid. He says all these things. I don't know about these things. And then you'll start looking these things up and you'll be like, okay, well, fine. He's not stupid, but he is mean. And then you'll be like, ah, man, yeah, he's right. Commies suck. And with that, you'll be an American again. And it's going to feel so good. Now, I had thought about talking about all this last week and it kind of 
you know, events took over. I had different things I wanted to talk about. I didn't know if I was going to get back to it. But then I was talking this morning to a friend of mine in a group text, actually, with two very good friends of mine. And we were discussing, I brought this up. I tried to watch this movie called Reminiscence last night with uh, my girlfriend. We put it on. We were looking for something to watch. We put it on. It's on HBO Max right now. And it's written and directed by a woman named Lisa Joy, who is Jonathan Nolan's wife. And she occasionally directs episodes of Jonathan Nolan's show, Westworld, which, if you've ever seen it, is a almost entirely bad show uh, where it is completely reliant on wowing people with its with its intellectual heft, except the problem is it doesn't have any. It's basically like what stupid people think smart people think about artificial intelligence. And so in the context of those ideas, this kind of uh, cheap pop science and pop philosophy, uh, Lisa Joy wrote and directed this movie reminiscence, which I made it through 25 minutes of until I realized that at the 25 minute point, it is hands down unquestionably the worst movie of all time. All right. And I didn't expect that. Actually, I was I went in with an open mind because I've, you know, seen some episodes of Westworld and there was one in particular that everybody went crazy for. Um, and the feminists kind of had a collective orgasm over Lisa Joy a few years back over this one episode of Westworld. And honestly, the episode was one of the better episodes of Westworld. And I'm not going to knock it or knock Lisa Joy for that episode in any way whatsoever. OK, but I'm watching this movie and it is so bad. The writing is even worse than the direction and the direction is terrible. But so so Hugh Jackman is basically like this kind of, uh, you know, seen better days. He's kind of exhausted by the world. And his job is to put people into this tank. He gives them a shot in the neck and he puts them in this little tube. And then in that tube, they relive one of their memories so that they can learn from it. And in the first 15 minutes, they basically have like half of the people in the movie are from Westworld. And then this woman walks in and Hugh Jackman's like, he, he says in his internal dialogue, well, everything changed the moment, <laughs> the moment I first saw her. And then, uh, you know, she's, she's very, assertive she'll just take her clothes off in front of everybody because she's just wild like that she's just comfortable in her own physique in her own sexuality and Hugh Jackman well he's just enamored and he takes her through her memory so that she can find her lost keys and she leaves but forgets her earrings at the place so of course she needs to come back and relive that memory again so she can find her earrings that's that part's a joke. He actually realizes that she has her her earrings there and actually his assistant realizes it. And his assistant is is Tandy Newton from Westworld, who's playing the same part she plays on Westworld, more or less. And uh, 
she gives him the earrings and then he is like, you know what? I got to track this girl down and give her these earrings. And so he goes to her place of business where she sings and he floats his way through the streets of Miami because, of course, in the very smart Hollywood woke world, right? This is what all the smart people think. Miami's totally underwater because of climate change, of course. So he takes her earrings back to her and she's like, oh, you're a real man. Let's go home and sleep together. And that's basically when you turn the movie off because it's so fucking bad. You're like, I can't believe this is so bad. This is so stupid. And I've been told for so long about the male gaze and how disruptive that is for uh, the cinematic experience. And so you get this very uh, domineering woman. This is this is a sexual experience without the male gaze. This is the female gaze showing you how strong and assertive women can be and blah, 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 blah. And it's so, so dumb. Not because it's a woman directing it, by the way. It just is so dumb. It's like they're intentionally trying to make it the opposite of the male gaze. And in doing that, they instead just try to make it the opposite of anything that might resemble normal reality. It's like a, uh, a a visual fantasy for 37-year-old cat ladies who drink too many martinis during the week and think that Jen Psaki's Instagram is amazing. It's just for that demo only. And I guess ultimately, I st- you know, so we turn it off, both of us, by the way, and my girlfriend said it before me. She was like, this is like really bad, right? And I was like, thank goodness you said that. And I was like, yes, this is one of the worst movies of all time. And so we turn it off. And of course, I want to see how many communists are singing this movie's praises. And so I go to Rotten Tomatoes and there are some commies singing this movie's praises. Don't get me wrong, but it's only 38 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And some of the reviews are absolutely as uh, as cutting as they should be. People were like, it is unbelievable that this is a real movie and they were like this is lisa joy's directorial debut and hopefully it is also her directorial finale people were really saying that and i was like wow you guys went hard i am i appreciate you i was very impressed by some of the uh some of the cultural critique that was available but from that cultural critique, I gleaned that the purpose of this movie was to say that we should not be caught up in our memories. We should not be caught up in nostalgia. We should not be looking back toward better times. We just are where we are and we have to make the best of it. And that is an idea that we have been conditioned to think is true. We're not supposed to look back because we're told that everything that happened before now was all about the patriarchy and about racism and blah, 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 blah. But we're told all that by people who told us we could solve racism by voting for a man who was mentored politically by a Klansman. We're told that by the people who proudly represent the party of the KKK, the party of Jim Crow. It is what it is. 
And we're told we have to tear down the patriarchy by the people who started the Time's Up movement and used it to defend Andrew Cuomo and smear his accusers. We're told that by the people who defend Harvey Weinstein and Bill Clinton and hang out with Jeffrey Epstein. And we accept that they must be right because they control the culture. And that is madness. But even the premise is crazy. We don't have to say that the past is better. We don't have to say that the future will be better. We don't have to say that now is better than the past. It's crazy to assume that one point in history got everything right or everything wrong. It is up to us to actually think about the issues that affect our lives and figure out where we come down on them. Okay, and it's fine and good to be open to new information and new experiences that might change our views, allow our views to evolve or, by the way, allow them to revert to prior views that actually accomplished the good things that our current views do not. It's up to us to make those decisions and we can't be thrown off them because some dummy is like, yeah, you know what? That's a that's a really anachronistic view. These views are really retrograde. <laughs> hey, Kami, those are two words you don't know the meaning of. How about that? We need to stop that altogether, okay? We need to think for ourselves, make our own decisions about all these things, and then be prepared to defend the decision as yours, Okay? You don't need to be concerned about what might happen if you're forced to convince three high school juniors on the varsity cheerleading squad that you're still cool. <laughs> you don't have to justify yourself to everyone. Okay. We got to get out of that mindset. It's got to stop. If someone doesn't like you, that's fine. Okay. Decide whose opinions you care about, the people close to you, the people around you, the people who respect your viewpoint. They know you for who you are and they respect that. Okay, worry about what those people think. If you're not crossing the line with them, you're okay. All right. You don't need to have views that are accepted by 98% of pop culture. That's not a goal. They don't even know you exist. And if you have learned nothing else from the last 18 months, you should at least understand this. Okay. They hate you. They don't care about you. They are not looking out for you. They are happy to watch you be destroyed and you still care what their opinions are of your behavior and your beliefs. Why? And, you know, I'm, again, I've said it a million times. I'm not a particularly religious person. I'm not really religious at all. I have my views. My views are always subject to change. That's my process. That's who I am. It's crazy that actual religious people who are devout in their beliefs are afraid to stand up and defend those. Why do you care if someone 
who you don't know is going to say your beliefs are bad online. Why do you care? Don't you have something higher to answer to, including, by the way, yourself, your own face in the mirror? That should mean something to you. Now, I didn't mean to spend all this time on this. So I do want to hit another subject before I go, and it might take a little while. So maybe we'll do a long one today. But there were reports yesterday of a coup in Guinea. Okay. Guinea is a country on the West Coast of Africa. And apparently the military has deposed the leader there. And I'm going to read uh, some news articles about what happened and then we can talk about it more in depth because i think that this is really really interesting all right so this is from cbs early this morning i suppose september 6th guinea military commander stage coup remove president alpha condi from power mutinous soldiers in the west african nation of guinea detained president alpha condi on Sunday, after hours of heavy gunfire rang out near the presidential palace in the capital, then announced on state television that the government had been dissolved in an apparent coup d'etat. The country's borders were closed and its constitution was declared invalid in the announcement. Read aloud on state television by Army Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya, who told Guineans the duty of a soldier is to save the country. That's probably true. I think I agree with the colonel. We will no longer entrust politics to one man. We will entrust it to the people, said Dumboya, draped in a Ghanaian flag with about a half dozen other soldiers flanked at his side. I like him already. It was not immediately known, though, how much support Dumboya had within the military or whether other soldiers loyal to the president of more than a decade might attempt to wrest back control. Sounds like uh, CBS is expressing their hopes. The junta later announced plans to replace Guinea's governors with regional commanders at an event Monday and warned any refusal to appear will be considered rebellion against the country's new military leaders. The West African regional bloc, known as ECOWAS, quickly condemned the developments, threatening sanctions if Condi was not immediately released. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres tweeted that he strongly condemned, quote, any takeover of the government by force of the gun. The U.S. State Department warned against violence and urged authorities in Guinea to avoid extra constitutional actions that, quote, will only erode Guinea's prospects for peace, stability and prosperity. Spokesman Ned Price, this is the U.S. State Department spokesman, added in a statement that the junta's actions, quote, could limit the ability of the United States and Guinea's other international partners to support the country. Oh, I bet they are shaking in their boots hearing Ned Price say that. I mean, Ned Price, that guy means business. Condi's whereabouts had been unknown for hours after the intense fighting Sunday in downtown uh, Conakry. I'm hoping I'm saying these words correctly until a video emerged showing the 83 year old leader tired and disheveled in military custody. The junta later released a statement saying Condi was in contact with his doctors, but they gave no timeline for releasing him other than to say everything will be fine. When the time comes, we will issue a statement. 
Condi, in power for more than a decade, had seen his popularity plummet since he sought a third term last year, saying that term limits did not apply to him. Sunday's dramatic developments underscored how dissent had mounted within the military as well. Dumbuya, who had been the commander of the Army Special Forces Unit, called on other soldiers, quote, to put themselves on the side of the people, end quote, and stay in their barracks. The Army colonel said he was acting in the best interest of the nation, citing a lack of economic progress by leaders since the country gained independence from France in 1958. If you see the state of our roads, if you see the state of our hospitals, you realize that after 72 years, it's time to wake up, he said. We have to wake up. I really do like this guy. Observers, though, say the tensions between Guinea's president and the army colonel stemmed from a recent proposal to cut some military salaries. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second. What in the world do they mean by observers? Right? Either the claim is true or it's not true. Did the tensions rise because of military salaries or was there something else? And if you figure that out, just say the answer. You don't need to pretend that there is a second party here and they are giving the opinion. This is what observers say. Who are the observers? Observers aren't a class of people. Observers could be anybody from George Soros, who they're likely quoting, to people on the streets of the country. This is a crazy way to go about delivering the news. On Sunday morning, heavy gunfire broke out near the presidential palace and went on for hours, sparking fears in a nation that has already seen multiple coups and presidential assassination attempts. The defense ministry initially claimed that the attack had been repelled by security forces, but uncertainty grew when there was no subsequent sign of Condi on state television or radio. The developments that followed closely mirrored other military coup d'etats in West Africa. The army colonel and his colleagues seized control of the airwaves, professing their commitment to democratic values and announcing their name, the National Committee for Rally and Development. It was a dramatic setback for Guinea, where many had hoped the country had turned the page on military power grabs, Oh, that sentence is delicious in context, and we're going to get to that. Condi's 2010 election victory, the country's first democratic vote ever, was supposed to be a fresh start for a country that had been mired by decades of corrupt authoritarian rule and political turmoil. In the years since, though, opponents said Condi, too, failed to improve the lives of Ghanaians, most of whom live in poverty despite the country's vast mineral riches of bauxite and gold. The year after his first election, he narrowly survived an assassination attempt after gunmen surrounded his home overnight and pounded his bedroom with rockets. Rocket propelled grenades landed inside the compound and one of his bodyguards was killed. Violent street demonstrations broke out last year after Condi organized a referendum to modify the Constitution. The unrest intensified after he won the October election and the opposition said dozens were killed during the crisis. It is amazing. When I present the context at the end of this, all of these sentences are so incredible. In neighboring Senegal, which has a large diaspora of Ghanaians who oppose Condi, news of his political demise was met with relief. 
President Alpha Condi deserves to be deposed. He stubbornly tried to run for a third term when he had no right to do so, said Malik Diallo, a young Ghanaian shopkeeper in the suburbs of Dakar. We know that a coup d'etat is not good, said Mamadou Saliou Diallo, another Ghanaian living in Senegal. A president must be elected by democratic vote, but we have no choice. We have a president who is too old, who no longer makes Ghanaians dream and who does not want to leave power. Guinea has had a long history of political instability. In 1984, Lasana Conti took control of the country after the first post-independence leader died. He remained in power for a quarter century until his death in 2008, accused of siphoning off state coffers to enrich his family and friends. The country's second coup soon followed, putting army captain Musa Dadis Kamara, I hope I'm saying these right, in charge. During his rule, security forces opened fire on demonstrators at a stadium in Conakry who were protesting his plans to run for president. Human rights groups have said more than 150 people were killed and at least 100 women were raped. Kamara later went into exile after surviving an assassination attempt and a transitional government organized the landmark 2010 election won by Condi. Okay, even that sentence is amazing. I am going to have to look in later. I didn't think about this earlier, but I'm going to look into who was involved in this transitional government that organized the election. Okay, so as you might imagine, you could look and find out that Alpha Condi was an ally of Barack Obama and this situation, this coup in quotes is a result of a stolen election just like in Myanmar and just like here and would you know it the same people are involved with stealing the election in all of those places isn't that crazy but not once in CBS's article and the other mainstream coverage of this event in America, not once is it mentioned that this is happening because the country knows that the election was stolen and the person in power is in fact illegitimate and not elected by the people. Just like Myanmar, just like here. Now, let's go to Wikipedia. This is the write-up of the 2010 election in Guinea, okay? Condi stood again in the June to November 2010 presidential election. During the first round, he received 18% of the votes, while Selu Dalian Diallo, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, placed first with over 40%. On 15 November 2010, Condi was declared the winner of the second round with 52.5%. Imogen Rose Smith from Institutional Investor said that his win was, quote, surprising given his, quote, poor results in previous elections and in the first round of this election. In 2011, Paladino Capital Two, an investment company run by South African billionaire Walter Hennig, lent Guinea $25 million allegedly in order to fund the establishment of a state mine. But it soon became evident that the money was not used as intended and that the terms were detrimental to Guinea. 
Furthermore, according to former Ghanaian minister of mines, Mahmoud Tiam, the deal included a commitment to support Condi's political campaign. In 2012, after extensive public criticism, the loan was returned and the deal was canceled. After he was elected, Condi seemingly attempted to improve the mining law in Guinea in order to reduce corruption in the sector and increase the country's benefit. He attempted, he seemingly attempted to improve the law for the country's benefit. However, as revealed in 2016, Samuel Mebiame, who had been involved in bribing high-level officials in return for mining rights in the country, was also involved in rewriting the mining law in a manner that benefited the companies with which he was working. I am shocked. According to various documents that were allegedly leaked to the international NGO Global Witness, mining company Sable Mining was involved in helping Condi win the 2010 election in return for mining rights in the country. Global Witness reported that Sable supported Condi's election campaign, organized logistics and strategic meetings, offered to loan him a helicopter and paid bribe money to his son, Alpha Muhammad Condi, in order to secure mining permits in a number of areas, including Mount Nimba. In an email allegedly sent from Alpha Muhammad Condi to Sable in August 2010, he said that backing his father's campaign Quote, will make my dad all the more comfortable to support our business partnerships. All right. So right there, you can see that in their first election, the country's first democratic election where this man was first elected, he did so on the back of corruption after it had already been proven that he did not have popular support in the country. Now, that's interesting, you might say. So he's corrupt. We are told that all African leaders are corrupt and we believe it. Why? Could be racism, but who knows? Now, if you're feeling feisty, get on a non-Google search engine and type in Smartmatic Guinea and see what happens. You'll find a link that takes you right to Smartmatic.com. Now, Many of you know the name Smartmatic as the election equipment company that started in Venezuela. They have an article on Smartmatic.com, elections.smartmatic.com slash Africa's dash next dash big dash challenge. If you want to go there directly. Africa's next big challenge. According to projections made by the International Monetary Fund. Isn't that interesting? The International Monetary Fund. Those are the people who are involved in the global great reset, aren't they? Yes. Global communism. Yes. George Soros. Oh, you know it. Africa, on average, will be the fastest growing economy of any continent for the next five years. Seven of the 10 most proper prosperous economies are African. Besides the impulse given by the rising price of the commodities and other natural riches Africa traditionally exported, the continent's economy is showing an encouraging development of wholesale and retail commerce and industries such as transportation, telecommunication, and manufacturing. A considerable middle class is surging and improving its quality of life. Parallel to this economic and social progress, in 2011, Africa held a record number of electoral processes in 20 nations, including South Sudan, Benin, Benin. I did not even know that was a country. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire. I think that's the Ivory Coast. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I hope I am. Hey, sometimes I get stuff wrong. 
it is what it is. Zambia, South Africa, Liberia, Guinea, uh, Niger, Zambia, Somaliland, and Tunisia. The slow transformations the continent has undergone since the 60s have accelerated electoral democratic consolidation. Isn't that so great that Smartmatic has finally found its place in Africa? They have gotten a foothold and with it comes democratic elections. And skipping down to the end of the article, this article is from 2012, by the way. Technology can provide some of the solutions Africa needs at the present time, from civil and electoral registry systems, ooh, to electoral automation, ooh, to smart cities solutions, oh. There are plenty of options available on the market for governments to improve its transparency and effectiveness. Zambia, for example, improved the transparency of its elections by using biometric technology to update its electoral registry. Gosh, thank goodness Smartmatic was there to help. A partnership between Smartmatic and the UNDP made this possible. Uganda used smartphones to improve the transparency of their most recent elections. In the end, good governments are necessary to consolidate the latest developments and conquer Africa's next big challenge. Isn't it incredible that all the systems these people bring to the United States, they're also bringing to these third world nations all around the globe. And once they get there, they put in all this amazing technology that does nothing but enhance democracy and it enhances democracy so much that it installs dictatorial leaders who never leave power just like here. What we have playing out before us is virtually the exact same scenario that started, I don't know, six or seven months ago in Myanmar. Maybe I'm getting my timelines wrong, but I've talked about Myanmar a bunch of times, gone through all that stuff. What's going to be interesting in the next few days watching in the next few months, actually watching this story develop is seeing how many of these groups that are mentioned in these articles tie directly back to George Soros, to uh, the Open Society Foundation, that's George Soros's group, to the Obamas, to Smartmatic and Dominion. And what you're going to see is the same process again and again and again. And they're going to talk the same way about the coup. They're going to pretend that it is only a military coup, that these people are trying to seize power and not trying to hand power to the people. Those military leaders, the colonel who was in charge of this coup, spoke specifically about giving power to the people. And we have been conditioned to believe that that sort of language is always a lie and that the people actually chose in the election to put the guy that was just deposed into power like that. That's who the people really want. Except the people weren't out in the streets protesting yesterday. They were out in the streets celebrating. In Myanmar, the protesters were paid by George Soros. This is the same system they have run everywhere to take over countries. Every time it doesn't work, every time the people stand up and get the person they want in office, the global communist community goes crazy. Look at how they treat Victor Orban, look how they treat uh, 
Jair Bolsonaro. Or is it Jair Bolsonaro? I'm not trying to insult Mr. Bolsonaro. But this is what the global communist community does. They set up systems in every single country that they can infiltrate so that they can control who gets elected all the time. All right. And it's not that they're just choosing one over the other. The people brought these people right up into the election. And ultimately, the global communist community gets to decide. No, they run these people from the bottom. They control these elections, not just for president. They control them all the way down and they continue filling every level of society with their own representatives that will help them carry out this mission until every single country in the world falls victim to global communism led by corrupt dictators who will hold on to power forever for as long as they can because who's going to stop them? This guy was just taking an extra term and he lost again and still stayed anyway. And the fake election wasn't even close, by the way. They gave him like 59 and a half percent of the vote. Just overwhelming support. Except I'm sure it's just like it is here over there. And they go around to their neighbors and they're like, hey, did you vote for uh, that Condi guy? And everybody's like, no, who would who would ever who would ever do that? Only, uh, you know, rich people who are completely disconnected from life. Which is, by the way, not all rich people. Hey, don't get mad, rich people. I love you. I just don't like rich people who are detached from reality. But this is the same situation that we are experiencing. And we're seeing it in Myanmar. Now we're seeing it in Guinea. And soon we're going to see it here. Because it's not any different. It's the same evil people using the same exact program to steal power they do not deserve to hold. And if you want to know what the people really think in this country, look at any college football game from the weekend. They have 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 people packing into a stadium, no masks anywhere. Everyone just jumping up and down, screaming and yelling, enjoying themselves because all those stadiums were empty last year. And they're back and they are returning to life. And it is a beautiful thing to watch. And there were quite a few people in those crowds chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And that, that's the kind of thing that'll make your holiday weekend. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how. Or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. 
I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!